Richard Wright is no doubt best known, and rightly so, for his first novel, Native Son, published in 1940. The novel was incredibly influential on subsequent black writers, whether um, as a positive influence of, you know, emulated and, and appropriated themes or um, just as much uh, for the critical response and the desire among so many black writers to tell alternative stories of black life. There's something really special about what Native Son set in motion. It was a national uh, event, really. We discussed a little bit in class because I think it's important just to contemplate it and draw out its meaning. The fact that Native Son was a Book of the Month Club selection in 19, uh, uh, upon its release in 1940, which is an incredible thing to think of just generally that, you know, a decade and a half before Brown versus Board of Education, you know, a decade and a half before the really significant work of the Civil Rights Movement, Richard Wright had already been in the the mailboxes of white America in such huge numbers. As well, um, the themes of the book make, I think, for me anyway, make it really incredible that it had such a, an enormous influence and, and was read so widely and by so many people. Because it doesn't take the question of race lightly and it doesn't water down the meaning of anti-black racism. In fact, it's incredibly bold and direct in terms of what it has to say. So in the class, we didn't read the novel. It's it's really, really long. Um, and I think in some ways, uh, especially the last third of it, uh, really quite laborious. Um, I would love to have read the novel and get into the subtleties of, of some of the key moments. But instead, we watched the film the original film version from 1951, uh, starring Richard Wright, the author, as Bigger Thomas, in uh, you know, in his only real uh, film appearance and film production. It was filmed in Argentina because American studios wouldn't uh, produce it. They didn't want to put the kinds of things that happened in the novel on screen, which again underscores for me this question of how could it have been a book of the month club, but not be uh, a selection, but not be uh, made into a film. There's an interesting story there about what we allow in book form or, or was allowed in the moment in terms of book form and the imagination and what would be allowed in terms of, of the visual, in terms of, of what Americans would be allowed to see or what producers and actors were willing to participate in that would be consumed visually uh, by the American public. So it was filmed uh, and produced in Argentina uh, with a lot of um, non-professional actors or just beginning actors. There was a, originally a professional actor slated to play Bigger Thomas who couldn't make it for various reasons. I think the sort of consensus on that is that the person saw it was too much of a risk to his career and wanted to keep his career open. So part of why I say this is not just as a sort of background to the film and the novel, but because for me it frames how in 2023 we ought to actually read and think about the themes in, in Native Son. If we simply think of Native Son in our current moment, I think there's a lot to be said. 
but I also think that um, in thinking about it as, as an historical event, because it really was an event, an event of the Book of the Month Club, an event of a film that couldn't be filmed in the U.S., um, it helps us see what I think we're supposed to see, what's provocative about the film and, and what buttons Richard Wright is pushing in order to get us to see with clarity the nature of anti-black racism in this country. In some ways, I think there's nothing that surprising in Native Son, the film, uh, and the novel. The film is very faithful to the novel. I like that part. But there's nothing all that surprising because in some ways what Native Son did was articulate out in the open for you know tens of millions of Americans uh, the nature of anti-black racism and its consequences for the lives of black people. And since then, there's been such an elaboration both in the intellectual world and in our popular discourse, so much elaboration of exactly the kinds of things Richard Wright was talking about that it seems in some ways familiar. But for me, it's important to know and understand that the novel functions uh, much more as a template than it does as a... Um, as a novel insight, right? It's a template for so much subsequent analysis, and that for me is its enduring significance as a creative work. There are a few things that I want to emphasize, sort of processing it in this, you know, in, in, in this sort of next 10 minutes or so. One is his depiction of life in the south side of Chicago in the 1930s as completely abject. And by that, I mean that the apartment buildings where he lives, where, where Bessie, his girlfriend, lives, where his friends live, the neighborhood they walk around, is never, never characterized as apartment buildings, right? Or townhouses or, or some of these kinds of terms. It's always called a tenement. And this idea then that these tenements right, are sites of, of, dis, uh, of uh, places of, of immense disrepair, um, of uh, neglect and abandonment. And we get that in all in every scene in which characters walk down the street. But also, and it's in the opening scene of both the novel and the film, uh, the rat in Bigger Thomas's mother's home, right? Where, you know, people are afraid of the rats or leave the rat alone, it'll go away. And Bigger in the, uh, in the film and novel, um, loses his temper at the rat and he pursues it and brutally kills it and takes it outside or it's, it's taken outside but he brutally kills it and the passion with which he kills it shocks everybody in the home it's sort of like what happened to bigger like why are you so upset you know why are you reacting this way it's just a rat and what's important to me about that is that bigger is the only character who uh, only black character who who has a visceral rage about the conditions under which black people are forced to live in this country. That is, seeing his mother's house be rat infested is for him a, a, an occasion for rage. It's not an occasion for sympathy or play, right? It's pure anger. And that animates so much of Bigger Thomas, the character. I think other things animate it too, animate the character too, but this, this notion of rage at, at the abjection of black life in an anti-black world 
is really what makes Bigger who and what he is in the novel. Now, of course, the trajectory of the story is pretty simple, right? Uh, I mean, simple in the sense of straightforward, right? He takes on um, a job as a chauffeur for a liberal white, uh, wealthy liberal uh, white man family. Um, he's tasked with taking Mary and her boyfriend Jan, right? The Mary is the daughter of the of the, um, of the wealthy liberal, and Jan is her boyfriend. And they're both, uh, Jan is a committed communist and racial progressive, right? He's advocating and agitating for civil rights. He has pamphlets that he gives bigger, that he shares with Mary. And Mary is shares those beliefs with him, but in some ways she's not taken very seriously by uh, Richard Wright in the story. She's more of a, of a sort of along for the ride and curious about these ideas and certainly influenced by her father and family, but um, doesn't show any sort of intellectual commitment. And after a night where, where Bigger takes them out for drinking, that they go to a black club and there's lots of interesting stuff there from, 19, from 1940 that looks a lot like 2023 in terms of stereotypes of of white liberals and their interest in black culture being very voyeuristic, right? Seeing it as almost like a, like a, um, like a safari rather than an outing for the night, right? They sort of see it as a sociological experiment and experience, uh, Jan and Mary do. Um, and so there's something really interesting about the way those scenes and the dialogue is constructed because they're made to look ridiculous because it's told from a black perspective, but they're also made to be exemplars of a certain kind of white progressive view and progressive sensibility around race. And so that for me, that those scenes alone would make this, this film and this novel uh, worth thinking about. So when they come back, Mary is, is you know nearly passed out drunk and asks Bigger, and Jan asks Bigger as well, can you take Mary up to her room and, and put her in bed? When she's there, of course, the mother comes in, her mother comes in, her mother's blind. Uh, Bigger, in order to keep Mary quiet so she doesn't say, hey, Bigger Thomas is in my room, or you know, you can't see him, but he's here, he puts a, a pillow over her mouth to mute her, her, her voice. And in so doing, she dies, right? Bigger panics, puts her body in the furnace, and uh, turns up the fire so that it incinerates her body. Eventually, through all these you know twists and turns, they figure out that he was the one who did it. But it's interesting to me that they don't actually know that he did it. What they have is just the slightest hint that he might have murdered Mary. But they don't need proof in order to assemble what's essentially a hybrid um, uh, lynch mob of police and and friends of the family or investigators and journalists. So there's a kind of lynch mob of, of journalists and common people and police who pursue Bigger and he gets, flees, right, um, into hiding. Stays in the south side, but he... Um, He's in hiding, and he goes into hiding with his girlfriend, Bessie. What emerges out of that discourse from the mob, uh, including the police who are looking for Bigger, is that he raped Mary. And that idea, uh, not that, that idea, but the, um, 
The fact that sexual assault enters into the picture here is so important because it's that moment where where right is like it's like a sleight of hand almost it's like he's not gonna articulate for you he's not gonna do an exposition of hey look the the discourse went from murder to rape without evidence right he's just gonna start using that that language of sexual assault to i think draw us in as readers to see both how natural that association is from the perspective of you know a white woman and a black man in 1940 and the police and the public perception of it but also to to you know in showing that 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 ease with which these are merged right to say something about the condition of black people in an anti-black world and that is and this is the key insight for me it's also true about the man who lived underground which i talked about in the just prior piece but it's this notion of in this very existential theme of guilt before action that he's already guilty simply by being a black man and he's guilty of what he's guilty of some sort of crime and that crime naturally flows racially in terms of gen and in terms of gender from the fact that the person in question is a white woman so that slippage between you know murder and sexual assault uh, the blending of the two without evidence no real evidence of murder except the sort of indicator or slight suggestion and then absolutely no evidence of sexual assault the the fact that all these come together so easily for the mob and for the police and for the detectives and the journalists all of this is for right a, a, a signifier of the fact that black people are guilty before they act no matter how they act now when they're fleeing from the police it's really important uh, moment for me when he kills his girlfriend bessie and throws her into an air shaft and as they're searching the building for evidence of bigger being there the detectives don't even notice that she's she's her arm is hanging out of the air shaft so this is again this really important moment where you know they don't notice a black woman's body right even though it is literally in front of their eyes right if they just slightly look up they see her body so again to this theme of invisibility right of of being unable to even see in this case the death of a black woman as well there's no indication that this is something for which bigger will be held accountable right or which warrants its own investigation there's no horror at her death that finding her dead body there's no outrage there's no sense of who's the perpetrator let's bring him to justice and i think in this way right is actually saying something important he's usually i would i will say he's usually critiqued for um, using women in his in his novels as just sort of disposable characters who meet you know really brutal deaths and in this case i think he's saying something more i don't think he's simply doing that i think he's trying to say like the world is willing to invest everything over a white woman's death in order for a black man to be as guilty as possible because all black people are guilty before they act and therefore an action that seems suspicious right heaps on all of these basically capital crimes but that doesn't apply in the case of black women right not only does it not apply but it's not even imaginable no one even hesitates or stops or thinks or ponders over the fact of bessie's death 
It's simply a death. And we move on from that as viewers. The story moves on from that. Then there's a significant portion of the film, which is much, much more of the novel. It's an incredibly long part of the novel, where Bigger is on trial. And what comes out of that are a couple of things. First, Jan appears. And Jan, in some way, even though he's a, a white character, white progressive character, white radical communist, he stays faithful to black innocence. And so there's something really interesting to me about for all of Jan's foibles, especially around the nightclub and after, the way he talks to Bigger, the way they have a sort of voyeuristic, sort of, you know, like a safari tourist kind of perspective as they go to the black club. In the moment of the trial, Jan is actually, I think, quite different. Uh, that he shows a commitment to, to black innocence and the ex uh, explanation for why Bigger did what he did, he holds fast to that. And so he doesn't waver. What consequences it has for him, we don't know in the novel, we don't know in the film, and I don't think Richard Wright particularly cares. But what Jan is able to do in staying faithful to this idea of black innocence is to give an explanation of what happened in this case of Bigger killing Mary. And what he does in that explanation is reconstruct this structure of anti-black racism in which black people are guilty before they act, but also to show how um, Bigger cannot act without violence. That is, he can't act without being perceived as a violent criminal, right? That, you know, we get this clear picture of, of Bigger, of, of suppressed rage around his own mother's abjection, uh, the, you know, and the objection of the, of the South Side more broadly. But we also get a sense of his own sort of manneredness and his own sort of curiosities and, and fleeting, you know, but not insignificant ambitions. Um, but it doesn't matter because in the moment that he becomes visible, right, in relation to white people, he becomes a violent criminal. And Jan is able to articulate that and on the basis of that say there's no such thing as fairness, clarity, or truth in what's going on in this trial. Bigger is found guilty, there's no surprise. But Bigger in that way is defined by what white people have made of him. Not from the inside, I think this is really key. It's not quite double consciousness like Du Bois had it where the, the social relation in an anti-black world gets internalized and confounds and confuses self-perception. Rather, Bigger Thomas is what white people made of him as a sociological fact, as an item in a social relation. And I say as an item in a social relation because it's as a, um, you know, that um, Bigger... Bigger is in some ways not a person in the novel, certainly as soon as he's captured by the police. He becomes instead a sociological construction of the guilty man, of the violent man, of the man who has no other future other than incarceration and death. And so in that way, Bigger is exactly what society has made him. Society in this case being a white, anti-black racist society. And in that, for that reason, as I said in class, I think it's important to always keep in your head how 
you know, literally on a keyboard, B and N letters are right next to each other. And how easy it is in saying Bigger Thomas to use the racial slur. That would be literally one letter over on the keyboard. Because what that racial slur, what the N word is, is a completely violent construction, completely constructed by white people in order to demean, degrade, and threaten black people. And so the fact that Bigger Thomas is that slight one key away, one mispronunciation away from this grotesque racial slur is about how close he is to the construct, how close he is as a character, how he is all but one letter, one key separated, the construction of white people a projection of their fears, a projection of their anxieties, and a projection of their insecure rage that has meant the death and destruction of black communities, black possibility, black life, and in this case, one man, his girlfriend, and his entire family.